Why, good morning. I uh, hope you all had a great Thanksgiving uh, as it uh, serves as a great time of the year to remind us to be thankful uh, for all that we are uh, to be thankful for. Because if we stop and think about it, as we talked about last week, uh, there's stuff that each and every one of us uh, have, have to be thankful for. If nothing less, uh, we can be thankful for the free gift of eternal life, which is uh, granted through our Lord and Savior, uh, Jesus Christ. Uh, now, I certainly uh, had a ton uh, to be thankful for this year. Uh, Jamie and I had both of our families uh, in town, some of them still here, to visit for the holidays, um, but really mostly here to see Ezra. Uh, you might be seeing them more. Uh, I imagine you'll be seeing them more in the upcoming years uh, as uh, not so much to see Jamie and I, but to see the baby, as everybody wants to see the baby. And we'll bring the baby sooner or later. Jamie, as I mentioned last week, is a germaphobe, and with being in the NICU and being flu and cold season, trust me, you'll see the baby. You can get your hands on the baby sooner or later. But on top of uh, having uh, uh, all of that, our, our Thanksgiving season, uh, again, there's just so much that each and every one, one of us can be thankful for. Um, and now that Thanksgiving is officially over, uh, we can start to transition into the Christmas season. Now, if we're going to be honest, though, I know some of you guys have already transitioned into that Christmas season a couple of weeks ago or a month ago. Raise your hand if you're one of those people who transitioned to Christmas long before Thanksgiving even started. Yeah, we, 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 got, a hand pe- we got a handful of people. Raise your hand if you can't stand those people who transitioned to Christmas. Yeah, we, we, we got a handful of each. Good thing we're all a part of the family of God, and we can all get along together, brothers and sisters. Um, Christmas, is, as Jen was talking a, a bit earlier in, in the lighting of the Advent candle, um, uh, Christmas is all about the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, uh, it serves as a perfect time uh, to, to focus on that as it was a monumental event, the birth of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Um, and so with uh, transitioning into the Christmas season and the Christmas holiday and the holly jolly mood, uh, we're going to be talking about the reason of the season. And that reason for the season is Jesus. And so this morning we're going to start a, a couple week series entitled All About Jesus. We're going to talk about the basics of who Jesus is. Who is this Jesus that we celebrate each and every year his birth? I mean, uh, that, that's quite an astronomical event for, for the world to celebrate the birth of a particular person. I mean, I mean, the whole world isn't celebrating my birthday, so why celebrate the birth of some, some guy born 2,000 years ago? Well, we're going to see uh, in, in these upcoming weeks and just see how important this man, Jesus, truly was. Now, if you remember, which I, I'm sure you guys do, back in June, uh, we did a series entitled All About God. And I'm sure you guys could all come up here and, and preach that sermon all about God because I'm sure you guys all listened very well. And I'm sure you guys all remember it and you could flip back in your notes. Um, but if you didn't, for some odd reason, uh, we'll, we'll just spend a couple minutes recapping what we talked about back in June when we talked about all about God. And we went over the basics of who God is. And 
And, and so we spent four weeks talking about God. The first week, we talked about how God is one. God isn't two. He's not three. He's not four, not five. He's one. God is one. And, and that was the most important scripture for the Jews, the most important scripture in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 6, 4, known as the Shema. You, you might remember that as the, that's the Hebrew word for hear or listen. Uh, and it says, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And that was the single most important passage for the Jews in the Old Testament, that God is one. There is no equal with God, our Heavenly Father, not even Jesus himself. For Jesus has said in Scripture, quoted, the Father is greater than I. Jesus has said, I can do nothing without God. Jesus called God my God, so Jesus had a God. Jesus stated that the Father is the only God. And Paul said that Jesus did not consider to be equal with God. And, and there's many more reasons to point that God is truly on a level of his own. So God is one. And, and let's not change the meaning of one uh, when talking about God. And the second week, we talked about the attributes of God. In Exodus uh, chapter 34, uh, verses 6 and 7, God is talking uh, to Moses on Mount Sinai, and, and God describes himself to Moses. That's pretty sweet for, for God to describe himself to, to someone else as they're talking. And God told Moses that he's a compassionate God. He, he's a gracious God. He's slow to anger. He's abounding in love and truth. He maintains love. He forgives wickedness, rebellion, and sin, yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. And those are that uh, Dr. Joe, back when I was in the Bible college, he, he, he made us uh, remember this passage, and he says it was God by God. It's God describing himself. And he's compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love and truth, forgiving, or maintaining love, forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. It does not leave the guilty unpunished. So God is good. The third week we talked about how God is personal. Uh, Jesus taught us in the New Testament to view God as our Heavenly Father. And uh, that, that term, Heavenly Father, has all the more meaning to me now than it did back when we went over the series uh, in June as now I'm uh, an earthly uh, father. Um, but God also re revealed his personal name to us. And, and if you remember, his name is Y-H-W-H. That, that's, uh, the, that's his name. That's his personal name. Most people pronounce it as Yahweh. That is the personal name of God. That, that, that's incredible that the almighty creator of the heavens and the earth revealed his personal name to us. And, and we can refer him to Yahweh. And we talked about how it wouldn't be appropriate uh, for me to go up and go, hey, yo, what up, Donald? What up, Donald Trump? You know, that, that's not appropriate. That, that I would have to be Mr. President, as that's official. But with God, we, we he might not say, yo, what up, Yahweh? But uh, we, he has revealed his personal name to us, Yahweh. And it was written 6,828 times in the scripture. And uh, I, I think it could be used. I think we can use it if it was written so much uh, in scripture. And so God is personal. He, he, he relates to each and every one of us on a personal level. The fourth week, we talked about how God is the creator. Uh, we all know in the beginning that God created the heavens and the earth and all that is in it, including you and I. And so if you can understand that God is one, that God is a good God, that God is personal, and that God is the creator of the heavens and the earth, then I would say you have a pretty good basic understanding of who God is. If you can understand those four concepts, those four aspects of God, that he's one, that he's a good God, that he's personal, and that he's the creator. 
If you can understand that, then I say, yeah, you, you have a basic understanding of who God is. Now, now obviously, God is, is a lot more than, than just those four weeks, so we can never fully understand or fully comprehend who God is, but he is meant to be understood, and, and I think uh, God reveals himself through the scripture. And it's so important that we have a basic understanding of who God is because of what Jesus says in John chapter 17, uh, verse 3. Um, you don't necessarily have to flip there, but in John chapter 17, verse 3, Jesus is praying to God, and we looked at this verse uh, when we went over the series all about God. But Jesus says, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So here Jesus says, it's eternal life. Eternal life is on the line of whether or not we know God and his son, Jesus Christ. And so I hope that we can all have a, a somewhat basic understanding of who God is as, as again, God is one. He, he's a good God. He's personal. And he's, create, he's our creator. Well, uh, these upcoming weeks as we transition to the Christmas season, again, we're going to be talking about who Jesus is, the basics of Jesus, because that's important. Jesus says eternal life is on the line. A matter of where, if we spend eternity with God and his son Jesus and our other loved ones who gave their life over to Jesus, eternal life is on the line if we know God and Jesus. If we know God and Jesus, then, then, then Jesus says that is eternal life. So eternal life is here on the line. So, so I hope you guys are listening and, and understanding uh, these concepts. So to begin with uh, this morning, uh, as we're talking all about Jesus in these upcoming weeks as we transition into the, to Christmas, uh, this morning we're going to be talking about how Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is the Son of God. Now, when, when trying to figure out uh, who, uh, whose uh, daughter or son someone is, what better person to ask than the parents themselves? They would have the best idea, they would have the best knowledge if indeed someone was their child, if someone indeed was their son or daughter. So when we're talking about if Jesus is the son of God, what better person to ask in God himself. You guys see me? Do I make any sense there? So this morning, we're going we're to take a look at God's words himself. And so if you have your Bibles, you can open up to Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3, the first book of the New Testament, about two-thirds away into uh, your Bible. And this is the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Uh, this is uh, when John the Baptist, uh, Jesus' cousin, is about to baptize him. And we're going to see whether or not God claims Jesus as his son. And so it says in Matthew chapter 3, verse 13, it says, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. 
So here, as John the Baptist is baptizing Jesus, as, as Jesus is getting immersed into the water and brought back up, uh, Jesus sees that the heavens were opened up, and, and he saw the spirits of God, the Holy Spirit, de- descending like a dove and coming to rest on Jesus. And this voice from heaven, which we can easily deduct, that's God, this voice from heaven, God says, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well Please, God himself, with all these witnesses around him, it wouldn't have been just John the Baptist and Jesus. There would have been other people around there. And in front of all these people, God himself says, this man, this Jesus of Nazareth, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Here God claims Jesus as his son and says that he is well pleased. On top of that, in Matthew chapter 17, just a handful of pages after Matthew chapter 3. In Matthew chapter 17, we'll see again whether or not God claims Jesus as his son. And we'll be reading about the transfiguration, which is really an intriguing story. And I'm sure reading this will bring up a lot of questions for you guys. We don't necessarily have time to delve into it. But we're going to focus on whether or not God claims Jesus as his son. And so in Matthew chapter 17, starting in verse one and it says and after six days jesus took with him peter and james and john his brother and led them up a high mountain by themselves and he was transfigured before them and his face shone like the sun and his clothes became white as light and behold there appeared to them moses and elijah talk with them so let, let, let's stop for just a brief second so here jesus takes his three closest disciples up a mountain and it says that jesus uh, was transfigured uh, that that basically means that jesus changed in form or appearance or he had an exalted or glorifying change. Um, as it talks about how he had uh, this bright light, he, he shone like the sun. And all of a sudden, uh, we see that Moses and Elijah uh, start talking with them. Well, if, if you know uh, your, your Bible, you know that Moses and Elijah are, are far gone by the time uh, we're talking about Jesus. And so my inclination, the best explanation I've heard, uh, is that this is a vision uh, of Moses and Elijah. But again, we're not going to get into that. Similar to Jesus appearing to, to Saul and Ananias in a vision during Saul's conversion, that this isn't the only occurrence. But anyways, they're talking, and uh, it continues in verse 4. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here, if you wish. I will make three tents here, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. So here, as Jesus was transfigured, as his appearance was changing, his former appearance, this voice from the clouds, this voice from the heavens, which again we can easily deduct, is God. God says that this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. So here again, the second time, God audibly speaks with, with other witnesses around, and God audibly speaks and says, this is my beloved son 
who, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. God doesn't really talk a, a whole lot in the New Testament audibly. Th- these are some of the few, very few instances in the New Testament where, where, where God audibly speaks to a group of people. And two times we see God audibly confirms that Jesus indeed is his son. And again, when talking about uh, whether someone is a son or daughter or someone, what better person to ask than the parent themselves? And so when we claim that Jesus is the son of God, what better person to ask than God himself, than Yahweh himself? And here we see twice with other witnesses around that God confirmed Jesus as his beloved son. And again, God hardly ever talks in the New Testament with an audible voice. And so when he says something, we really got to pay attention to hear what he's saying. And when we cover the nativity scene uh, come Christmas time, uh, this idea of Jesus being the son of God uh, will further confirm the statement as we'll look at how it transpired. But I don't really want to delve in uh, uh, too much. Hi, Maylee, she's waving, waving at me. Uh, <laughs> I don't want to uh, delve too much into Jesus being the Son of God because I think we all have uh, a basic understanding that, yes, Jesus is the Son of God. But rather what I want to focus more on this morning is the implications of Jesus being the Son of God. Because, again, I think we all understand that, that he is the son of God. Now, now we're called children of God as well, but it's different. Uh, Alvin Huffer, uh, the, the author of the Systematic Theology book, um, a man from the Church of God, uh, he, he says there's seven doctrines of salvation. Basically, seven things happen for and to us um, because of the death of Jesus on the cross. And, and he talks about one of them being adoption. Uh, we, we are adopted children of God when, when we accept uh, the sacrifice of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so when we give our life over to God and we give our life over to, to Jesus, we are children of God. We're all brothers and sisters. We're all a part of that family of God. But what makes Jesus special, as we'll talk about again in the nativity scene, is that he's the only birthed son of God. He's the only begotten, the, the, the fancy Greek word that we talked about in, in our Sunday school classes, monogenes, the only birthed or only begotten son. Jesus is the only one who was birthed straight from God. And so Jesus is on a field all of his own. He was conceived by God's Holy Spirit. Spoiler alert for Christmas. He's conceived by God's Holy Spirit. And so when we're talking about Jesus being the Son of God, we need to find the proper balance for Jesus. And, and let me tell you, it's tricky. It's tricky to find the proper balance, the proper spot for Jesus in our life. It's tricky to know how much are we to praise, how much are we to glorify, how much are we to honor Jesus. Because, because Jesus, as we talked about in June, Jesus is not equal with God. Jesus is not all-powerful. God is all-powerful. God is all-knowing, but Jesus is not all-knowing. God is the creator of all things, but, but Jesus is not the creator of all things. God is infinite and a good God, and he's the best of the best, and, and Jesus is not infinite. He had a beginning, as again we'll talk about come Christmas time. And God deserves all of our worship and all of our glory and all of our honor. It's he, he's the top of the top. But the tricky thing is Jesus isn't quite the top of the top, but he's the son of God. He's sitting at the right hand of God. So although Jesus is all-powerful, he's not all-knowing, he's not the creator of the thing, Jesus is without sin. Jesus is the savior of the world. 
Jesus has performed many miracles and healings. And Jesus sitting at the right hand of God right now. Jesus was conceived by God's Holy Spirit. He's the only birth son of God. And so this morning, what I, what I want to focus on is how do we find that balance? How do we find that balance of, of giving Jesus praise and glory and honor? Because Jesus is truly on a level of his own. He, he, he's a man, yes, but he's not like you and I. We're not conceived by, by God's Holy Spirit. Um, we're, we're, we're not the Savior of the world. We're, we're all, we all have sin in our life. Jesus was, was perfect. He was sinless. So where do we place Jesus in our life? And again, that's tricky to do at times because God, although there's no one on his level, we just know that he's all infinite. He's an infinite. He's the best of the best. And so he deserves everything. We can't go overboard with God and giving God all of our glory and praise and honor. That's impossible. You can't give God too much glory. You can't give God too much honor. You can't give God too much praise. Now, when we're talking about Jesus, there's a lot, a lot of people who do not give Jesus enough glory. There's a lot of people in this world who, not, who do not give Jesus the praise and the glory and the honor that he so much deserves. Because again, he's on a level of his own. He, he, he's the second man. He, he, he's the second one in charge. Right, right behind God is Jesus. Uh, th- th- this past week, uh, interestingly, interestingly enough, I started talking to um, a Muslim uh, about some theology. And, and whether or not uh, you know it or not, uh, Muslims believe in Jesus. That-, that may seem odd to some of us, but Muslims do believe in Jesus of Nazareth. Re- but rather than us believing in Jesus as the Christ, the Son of God, they think that Jesus was just you know, a good prophet. He was a good man who didn't literally die and be resurrected from the grave. He was just a good prophet. They'll admit that Jesus was a good man, the Muslims, the typical Muslim. But not only the Muslims and in other religions don't give him enough credit, some biblical Unitarians, some people that hold the same faith as you and I, just don't give Jesus enough glory and honor. And I think the main reason for that is they're afraid to make Jesus out to be God. It's interesting because we talked about just that same thing in our Sunday school uh, class this morning as Jesus is talking. The Jews thought that uh, Jesus was making himself out to be God, but Jesus plainly said in, in, in chapter 10 that I said I am the son of God. And so I know a lot of biblical Unitarians who don't give Jesus enough glory and honor because they're afraid to make him out to be God. But let me tell you, God is glorified when Christ is glorified. God is glorified when Christ is glorified. John 13, 31 and 32 says, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Basically what's that saying is that God is glorified when we give glory to Christ. God is glorified when we give glory to Christ. And I think the reason for that is because parents are glorified when their kids do something good. Now, uh, me personally, I am so excited uh, to get my baby Ezra um, a basketball hoop. I, I long for the day. I, I want it to be now. I'm talking about getting him a basketball hoop for Christmas because I just want to play basketball with him now. Now, some of my family members and Jamie are telling me, you know, that's pretty uh, premature to get him a basketball hoop. Now, uh, my sister, uh, who, who's back there, I hope I don't embarrass her, uh, says uh, that, that he's not ready for a basketball hoop, and she'll copy Ezra, and she'll say, who am I? 
can't even hold his own head up, but, but I want to get him a basketball hoop. But, but one day, I hope that Ezra will be playing sports. And when he scores a game-winning goal or when he's a great sport and respectful, that will bring glory and honor to both Jamie and I because we were the ones who raised Ezra. So although he, he, he's not ready now, I hope one day he, w- he will be, be playing sports or whatever, whatever he's interested in. And, and he does something honorable. He does something great. He achieves something great. That brings glory to both Jamie and I as Jamie and I had a hand in his life. And, and I'm sure you, you, you parents out there can relate. When your parent, when, when, not your parent, when your kid does something good, when, when they make the honor roll, when they're, when they're doing good in their sport, uh, when, when they're being respectful to others, when, when uh, they're being last and letting others go before them, when, when they give their life over to God and his son, Jesus Christ, you're glorified in it. You feel great about it. You love when your kids accomplish success. You love it when, when, when people take note of how great your children are doing. And in the same sense, the same exact sense, God is glorified when we give Jesus glory. Because parents are glorified when their kids are given glory. And so I, some people in our own faith, the biblical Unitarian, the belief that God is one, some people don't give Jesus enough glory. Some people don't give Jesus enough honor. Some people don't give Jesus enough praise. Now, on the other hand, some people give Jesus too much glory and honor and praise. Many people try to say that Jesus is a a part of of the Godhead, that that rather than Jesus being the Son of God, uh, that he is God the Son. Um, now, now, not once in Scripture uh, is, is Jesus referred to as God the Son, but over 40 times is Jesus called the Son of God. And so although there's lots and lots and lots, there, there's more people who don't give Jesus enough glory, but there are some people who give Jesus too much glory. They try to make Jesus God himself. They try to fit Jesus in with, with, with that Godhead. And, and I think if we read through the Gospels, when we read the, the lips of Jesus himself, when Jesus says the Father is greater than I, when Jesus himself says that I can do nothing on my own, when, when Jesus himself says that he has a God, when Paul says that Jesus did not consider to be equal with God, I think when we read through the Gospels, we can see that Jesus is not equal with God, so we shouldn't be giving Jesus the same glory and the same honor and the same praise that we give to God. Now, when Jesus was alive on uh, this earth, he was surrounded by Jews, and, and the Jews were God's people. They were his chosen people, the people of Abraham. And uh, there, there weren't any Christians at that time because a Christian is a Christ follower, and there was no Christ to follow before Jesus. So Jesus was just dealing and working with a, a bunch of Jews and a bunch of Gentiles. Gentiles is a fancy word for not a Jew. So he's working with Jews and people who weren't Jews. And these Jews from the the beginning put their hope in the Messiah and the Christ, uh, which came out to be Jesus. And now the Jews, as I briefly mentioned earlier, uh, the Jews are very serious about the oneness of God. Again, their most important scripture throughout the whole uh, Old Testament, their scripture, is the Shema, Deuteronomy 6, 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. They are huge huge into the oneness of God, that God is one. And now if anyone would have claimed to be God, the Jews would have wanted them dead 
immediately. We actually ran into that a bit again in the Sunday school uh, th- this morning. Uh, the, the Jews thought that Jesus was claiming to be God, and the Jews were seeking to kill him. But Jesus uh, clarified in John 10 that I said, I am the Son of God. And, and, and that was just a, a bit of uh, misunderstanding that the Jews had at that time. But now Jesus and some of the Jews did not get along very well because some of the Jews did not believe that Jesus was truly the Messiah, the Christ. And so the Jews wanted Jesus dead. They wanted Jesus dead. Some of the chief priests, the the, the scribes and the elders and and some of the Pharisees, they wanted Jesus dead because they thought he was a heretic. They thought he was the biggest blasphemer in, in the world claiming to be the Messiah. And so they wanted him dead. And we know that eventually they, they do put uh, Jesus to death uh, through the Roman government. Um, but they had to uh, file a charge against Jesus to kill him. And so if you, if you flip it in, in your Bibles, if you open up to Matthew chapter 26, uh, starting in verse uh, 57, we're going to see the Jews putting Jesus on trial. Putting, them, putting Jesus on trial so that they can kill Jesus once for all. And so in Matthew chapter 26, verses, uh, verse 57, it says, And those who had seized Jesus led him to Caiaphas the high priest, where the scribes and the elders had gathered. So, so people seized Jesus. They, they uh, captured him. They, they brought him to the chief priests, basically uh, the, the Jews that had the most power and authority. And so when Jesus was brought to the chief priest, it says in 58, and Peter was following him at a distance as far as the courtyard of the high priest. And going inside, he sat with the guards to see the end. Now the chief priest and the whole council were seeking false testimony against Jesus that they might put him to death. But they found none, though many false witnesses came forward. At last, two came forward. So here, the, these chief priests who, who were big into the law and telling the truth and, the, and that sort of thing, they were so desperate to kill Jesus that they were hiring false witnesses, people who, who were spreading lies about Jesus to have him killed, but, but none of them worked. And so it says, at last, two came forward, and verse 61, and said, this man said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to rebuild it in three days. And the high priest stood up and said, have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But Jesus remained silent. And the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God, tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said to him, you have said so. But I tell you from now on, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his robes and said, he has uttered blasphemy. What further witness do we need? You have now heard this blasphemy. What is your judgment? They answered, he deserves death. Then they spit in his, faith, in his face and struck him, and some slapped him, saying, Prophesy to us, you Christ, who is it that struck you? So here we see uh, the, these group of Jews who, who are strictly monotheists, who strictly believe in the oneness of God, and they are so desperate to put him to death. They're, they're, they're even hiring false witnesses, people to spread lies about Jesus just to have him killed. But the final charge that put Jesus to death, the, the, the final charge where the Jews delivered Jesus to the Roman uh, governor to be crucified, was that Jesus was the Son of God. That was the, fine, that, 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 that was the climax, that Jesus was the Son of God. Now we can see that the Jews so wanted Jesus dead. And it would have been so 
easy for everybody to agree to crucify, to kill Jesus if Jesus confessed that he was God. If they could confess that Jesus was God the Son, it would have been so easy to convince, to convince the other Jews, to convince uh, the Roman government to come because the, the, Roman, uh, the, the Roman people, they had their own Roman mythology. They had their own Roman gods. They didn't want people uh, challenging their Roman gods. And so if the Jews told the Roman people, the Roman governors, that this man is claiming to be God, it would have been so easy for them to crucify Jesus. But the problem for the Jews is that they that Jesus did not consider himself to be God, but rather Jesus considered himself and confessed here that he is the Son of God. Not God the Son, but he is the Son of God. A, a couple of years I was at theological uh, conference uh, and, and talking uh, to a fellow biblical Unitarian. Uh, I, I say that word, but basically uh, that's someone who believes in the Bible and believes uh, that God is one. And, and this guy said that this alone was the, the determining factor of his belief that God is one. Because it would have been so easy to put Jesus to death if they, could, if, if they would just have Jesus confess that he was God. But when, when Jesus was put to test, the, the, the clenching uh, accusation was that Jesus was the son of God, not God the son. And again, if Jesus just would have confessed that he was God, it would have been so easy. All of their problems would have been solved with the blink of an eye if Jesus would have confessed that he was God. But he's not because Jesus is the son of God. And with Jesus being the son of God, we have to be careful to give him the proper glory and the proper praise. And let me tell you, a lot of people do not give Jesus enough glory and honor and praise. But on the other hand, a lot of people give Jesus too much glory, too much praise, too much honor, making him equal with God. We have to find that, that healthy balance. A lot of life is about finding that healthy balance. When, when it comes with Jesus, we need to find that healthy balance of giving him our praise, of giving him our honor, of giving him our glory, because God is glorified when we give Jesus glory. God is glorified in that. But at the same time, we, we can't make Jesus equal with God because Jesus himself said that the Father is greater than I. And so we, we as Christians, we need to find that healthy balance of praising Jesus, the Son of God. And Philippians chapter 2, verses 10 and 11 says, So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Everybody should be bowing down at the name of Jesus. That shows us how much glory and honor and praise we should be giving to Jesus. That every name, every person should be bowing at the name of Jesus. And we are to be confessing that Jesus is the Christ. Confessing that Jesus is the Son of God. So we have to find that, that healthy balance uh, uh, of giving Jesus the praise, glory, and honor that he deserves because he does deserve a lot. He, he's the second man. He's the second one in charge, and God has given him all authority in heaven and on earth. So he deserves our praise. He deserves to be worshiped. But at the same time, some people run into the issue of giving him too much praise, too much glory, and too much honor. 
And so this morning, uh, we, we, we can praise Jesus and, and we can honor the name of Jesus. We can glorify the name of Jesus and thank Jesus for what he did on the cross 2,000 years ago. As, as nearly 2,000 years ago, Jesus bled and suffered and died on the cross for our sins. And so as we transition to communion, if we could have uh, the deacons uh, come forward. Jesus is to be honored. Jesus is to be glorified, as Philippians 2, 10, and 11 states. And so we need to give him the proper respect and glory. And one great way to do that is commemorating what Jesus did for us nearly 2,000 years ago. As the night before he was crucified the same night uh, that the Jews accused Jesus of being the Son of God. That same night, uh, Jesus uh, celebrated uh, the Passover uh, with his disciples. And as they were celebrating the Passover, uh, there, there was some bread and a cup of wine there. And Jesus said, this bread that you are about to partake in represents my body, which is to be broken for you. And so as we partake this bread, the, the, this bread represents Jesus' body being broken on the cross for each and every one of us. And he's to be glorified. And when we give Jesus that glory, God is glorified as well. So let's pray. Father God, I just thank you for this day. Father, I thank you for all that you've done for us. Father, uh, most importantly, I thank you for the free gift of eternal life, which was only made possible through your son. Father, I, I, I can't imagine uh, watching your son uh, suffer on that cross, and I cannot thank you enough. And thank you, Jesus, for all that you have done on the cross for us. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.
This bread represents Jesus' body being broken for us. Let's partake together. same night that he took the bread, he took the cup, and he said, this cup uh, represents my blood being poured out for you as uh, surely his uh, blood was poured out for us uh, on the cross as he died for our sins. Uh, he, he enabled us to be children of God, and so let's give God and his son Jesus the proper respect and glory. Let's pray. Father God, just thank you for this day. Father, I thank you for this church. I thank you for this Thanksgiving season. Father, as we uh, focus on this Thanksgiving season, again, we, I just want to focus on being thankful for the free gift of life, which was only made possible through the sacrifice of your son, Jesus, which was only made possible through the spilt blood of your son, Jesus Christ, the, the son of God, the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one. I just thank you for that. I just pray that we don't take this immense blessing for granted, that we can remember the price that was paid nearly 2,000 years ago. It was in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.
This cup represents Jesus' blood being poured out for us. Let's partake together. Father God, I just thank you for uh, all that you give to us. Father, uh, we, we, we give you all the glory and all the honor and all the praise. And we just thank you for this day. We thank you for the gift of eternal life uh, through the sacrifice of your son. And Father, I just pray that we can give you all the glory and honor and praise that you deserve and that we can give the, the praise and respect that your son deserves as well. And, and I just uh, pray that we could focus on the meaning of the season, this Christmas season. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. And everybody said, amen.